So good to be here today. Um, if you weren't here last week, Debs and I have just got back from Africa, South Africa, extensive time there, and uh, it was just incredible. God opened so many amazing doors, reconnected us with, um, with friends that we hadn't seen for a long time. You talk about divine appointments. Um, there's, uh, in South Africa, in Durban, there's, uh, there's one Krispy Kreme donuts shop. And um, because we don't have them here, we found out about it and went there. And while we were in there, uh, there was a friend of mine that I haven't seen, I think, since pretty much, much since the, 70, since the 70s and 80s, standing there in the line buying a donut. And uh, I didn't recognize him, but he recognized me. And um, it was just amazing to reconnect with this brother in Christ, an amazing guy. And uh, we had an incredible time of ministry uh, over there uh, with him, uh, with a number of the churches over there. We were able to um, connect and minister at the church that sent us out um, to Canada from um, South Africa in 97. This church was planted in our home with my wife and four kids. We didn't know one Christian in the nation. And God has done such incredible things and, and added so many amazing people and amazing staff. And I think of Ricky, I think she, she feels like to me she's been here forever. She was on staff for six years, but been here since a, a, a young lady in her early 20s. And, um, and just to see the way she's matured and many are maturing in the body here gives us great joy. I've come back with a, quite a bit of jet lag and a bit of a, um, a sinus infection. So if you'll just bear with me, I'll be sitting down today. Last week, I tried to stand and it didn't work too well. Uh, so I thought today we'll just sit here. And um, yeah, I'm just going to go um, through these notes that I have here. I want to stick to what I felt God was saying to us. Um, this is an amazing time of year of any church. And I love the fact that it's 2020, because 2020 has to do with vision, 2020 vision. And God is going to speak to us and show us things, I believe, great and unsearchable things that we actually do not even know now about Him and about His kingdom. And uh, so my encouragement over this time is for to seek Him and His kingdom and His righteousness and allow Him to speak in and through you. Uh, as he wants to do. And um, so we're so pleased to be home. There's no place like home. Um, I remember for the first few years coming here from Africa, I missed it so much. We didn't come because we felt uh, we needed to run away from the place, but we came here specifically because God called us here. And we felt it very clearly to plant a church. And, um, but now when we go back there, I can't wait to get back. To my home, which is Nanaimo, British Columbia, Canada. I love it here, and it's such a blessing to be here. And so in preparing into, uh, uh, anticipation for 2020, it's a good time, it's a lot of time for us to reflect, and I want to encourage you to do that. And specifically, as I'm speaking for the body, ask God uh, specifically for you that what 
is it that he specifically has in mind for you over this season and over this next year? Because when we seek him and we call on him, he answers us. Amazing thing, he says that he shows us great and unsearchable things that we do not know. And I want to encourage you this year to spend time, significant time in the presence of God, in His presence. Whether it's in the morning or in the evening, take time and make time for your relationship with Jesus Christ. God was so desperate for a relationship with us that He gave His only Son to to, uh, repair and restore a relationship with Him that was broken by our sin. And he's a God of intimacy. And as I was sitting there today and thinking about it, and even what um, Wes was saying about um, Paul and Silas, I can imagine God's gaze so focused on those two, although he had many children and many people. And that's the amazing thing. God is a God of an audience of one. He sees us as individuals. He doesn't see us as a crowd. He sees us he knows us so well that he knows when a hair, uh, if we still have some, drops off our head. And uh, just an incredible, intimate God. And that's what God, why he sent his son, to restore this incredible relationship with him. You see, Christianity was never meant to be a religion. It was always meant to be a relationship with God. And so I felt in this, I felt God uh, remind me of a prophetic word given by uh, Felicity Pooley. I see she's in the background. I'm glad she's here, Felicity. I hope I get it right. Uh, uh, and um, that reminded me of a preach that I preached a while ago in response to this word. And I just want to give us a simple reminder. I know many of you may not remember it. Uh, it was a while ago. But I do believe that this word and this message is key for our season. Felicity Pooley sent this to me and says, During the Easter community service, I felt a shift in the heavenlies, that the gates of the city had, had opened wider to our king and his kingdom. And as we began to pray for Oceanside outreach team, this is significant because I want to... Uh, focusing on the outreach part of this, I saw in the spirit that the streets of Nanaimo were flowing with gold. Gold is the emblem of eternal deity and the emblem of the Godhead and speaks of the immutability of God. She carried on to say, it feels like there's a greater free flay of the Holy Spirit's power, equipping us as believers to take hold of the fullness of Christ that the body of Christ would continue to grow uh, in peace and unity, bringing him glory. The scripture God gave Felicity was this, Zechariah 8 verse 9 and verse 12. This is what the Lord Almighty says, you who now hear these words spoken by the prophets, who were there when the foundation was laid before for the house of the Lord Almighty, let your hands be strong that the temple may be built. Verse 12, the seed will grow well, the wine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crop, and the heavens will drop their dew. And I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. There are two specific things that caught my attention while I was praying about this. 
And that was, the first one was that when we went out on the streets of the city, not in the church building, that the power of the Holy Spirit began to flow like liquid gold. A confirmation of that for me is obviously Acts 1.8, where Jesus said to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me for a specific purpose, and that is to be a witness of Jesus Christ. That's where the power is meant. The power is meant for us to go from this place full of the Holy Spirit and to be and do what Jesus called us to do. The second was that our hands are to be strong. I felt that we need to stop focusing on what we don't have and begin to focus on what God has already placed in our hands. God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things and he does this so that he alone can get the glory. God used a stuttering Moses with a stick in his hand to deliver a nation. A young David despised by his family to slay a giant and free his nation with a sling in his hand. And Jesus fed 5,000 people with the young boy's picnic lunch. In Matthew 24, Jesus reminds us that the power of the power of a cup of water, a piece of bread in the hands of the child of God. We're always looking and tending looking for the big things. But when we're faithful with the little, we get the big. It's not the other way around. And I want to encourage us to ask God what we have in our hands. I remember a long time ago encouraging some of our young guys over winter to put a snow shovel in the back of their car. And when they saw a driveway, normally an older person who couldn't do their driveway, just to get out and shovel it. And the stories that came back from the people just with a snow shovel. It could be a garden hose. It could be anything that God puts in your hand. A cup of water. A coffee at Tim Hortons. God can use that for the extension of his kingdom. You see, in Matthew 24, 31 to 40, Jesus speaking at the end of the time says this. It's an incredible little passage. Matthew 24 is a very sobering chapter to read for sure. But he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, will he, sit, uh, uh, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creator of the world. For when I was at church, you preached an amazing message. For when I was out on my own, you did some incredible things. We would think those are the kind of things, the big things that we'll be commended for. But this is what he says. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, you invited me in. This church is Christianity 101. 
When I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Many years ago, in about 97, 98, I had the privilege of um, leading a group in the local jail. Um, At that stage, you were still uh, able to go in there and share the gospel. And um, I was invited through uh, one of the chaplains there to do a, a Bible study. And I remember going into that place and for the first time and meeting these, these people. I know a lot of them came to the Bible study because it looked good on the parole sheet, but they were coming anyway. What I began to realize in that place that I'm just one decision away from being there myself. It's very easy to judge. And it was for about over a year that I went every Wednesday night and guys would come and go, but I got to know a lot of them. And I got to hear their stories and I was just overwhelmed with compassion and wondered how they hadn't even done worse crimes than they had. I remember some of them when they were about to get out of jail, um, get very nervous and very, um, yeah, very anxious about coming out. And I remember speaking to some of them and they said, there's no ways that they can get a job. Nobody's going to employ them. There's no place for them to stay. And many of, some of them said to me, I'd rather commit a crime and stay in here than be out on the streets. These are the people that Jesus loves. These are the people of Nanaimo. These are the people that God have called us to. And we said to them, when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you. Then the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these, listen what he calls them, brothers and sisters of mine, you do them for me. This church is Christianity 101. This is what literally Jesus, uh, this is literally what Jesus said about it. The ones who do this are the sheep and the ones who don't are the goats. I've read this over and over this week again. It's a a powerful, impactful message realizing that I too have lost my way with regards to looking after the people around us. And people that need need aren't only ones that are on the streets. People that need God are the business people, the doctors, the lawyers, every sphere of influence that God puts in our, in our place. You see, our vision statement as a church, and you hear in our songs that we celebrate Jesus. If you don't hear the name of Jesus in our songs and in our preachers, uh, we more than likely have gone a little bit off track. Because our vision statement is simply this, to know Jesus and to make the Jesus we know known to others. And we do this by being a gathering, healing, training, sending church. We gather together like this to be encouraged, to be equipped and to be trained, to be healed. And that's why this community and being in a church community is so important. 
Many people say they don't need the church. Well, you can't have Jesus without the church because the church is his body and he is connected to that and he is the head of the church. And how often people have been um, let down by the church. But I want to challenge each one of us who of us has never let down somebody else. And we need to understand that we are human and we are work in process, but God has no plan B. Jesus says it's through the church and the church alone that the manifold wisdom of God will be revealed to mankind. So it's important that we gather healing. God is bringing people in here, broken, broken by life, broken by sin, broken by the church maybe, and he wants to see them healed and restored. And I want to tell you, if you're in that place, the best place you can be in this place to find healing is to reach out to others, to bring healing to them. Remember, we reap what we sow. The Bible is very simple. These past passages, you don't need a doctor to understand them. We reap what we sow. And if you are needing love, start loving people, even if they reject you. And and then a training church. We want to train and equip people. We have a Bible school. We've gone to the 2020 reading challenge, uh, going through the Bible with Mark Manfredi. Uh, You can follow it online, um, and he will be going through all the passages every week. It's going to be an amazing opportunity. If you've never had the opportunity to read through the Bible, this is a good time to start for sure. But all of this gathering, healing, training, and sending is encapsulated to me in Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 25. And this is what it says. Let us hold unservingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let's spur each other on. Let's encourage each other. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more we see the day approaching. You see... The biggest threat to the kingdom of darkness is not people coming to church on a Sunday and hearing a sermon outside of people coming to church on Sunday be challenged hearing what has said and begin to apply it to their lives. The biggest threat to the kingdom of darkness is the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. All of us have a call. All of us have power and authority in the name of Jesus. We are all equal in standing before God. I am no longer more a child of God or an heir of God or a co-heir with Christ than you are. We're all equal but different in function. And this thing that has crept into the church over many centuries through tradition where people come to listen to the guy tell them what to do, and then get on with their lives. No, we are in this together. I'm no more part of this body or no more important to this body than you are. 
How many of you enjoy the chairs you sit on? Not bad, eh? How many of you would be pretty shocked if the guy that sits, sits out the chair or the couple that does that didn't arrive on Sunday? Who would be the most important person that was missing? The preacher, the worshiper? Imagine standing for an hour and a half listening to me, and I'm going to preach more than that today. I'm, I'm joking. But imagine if they didn't arrive, if the greeters didn't arrive, if, if the people didn't make the coffee, and I come early so that I can have some coffee before church. It's a good incentive for sure. You see, we're all equal in standing but different in function. And each one of us will be rewarded for what God has called us to do. You see, as a, as a people and as a church and as the tradition of the church, the, often the focus is the gathering. The gathering. I can't tell you how, many, how much effort is put into a Sunday service. And it's important because we want people to be comfortable and we want people to, to be able to hear the word of God and worship God and all of those kinds of things. But a gathering without ascending absolutely is not what God had in mind. A gathering without healing, training, and being sent. You see, this is what God is doing. And this is for us this year. And you say it's a a year of activation. It's a year of the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. I want you to go and study that, what it means to be the priesthood of all believers. See, God is raising up a priesthood spurred on by love and good deeds. A priesthood chosen by the Father, according to Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. Saved and commissioned by God the Son, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Empowered to witness by God the Holy Spirit. A priesthood that has been invited to participate in an incredible divine partnership with him. If I was God, and I don't want to blaspheme and say that I am, because I definitely am not, but if I was God, I think if I'd made the universe, I would have made sure that the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, that we did everything because I'm sure they could do it a lot better than us. I would have also kept Jesus on earth in his ministry more than three years. Can you imagine that? Many pastors won't leave the church because it might fall apart. Imagine Jesus. He ascended into heaven, and the disciples were still trying to work out why he has been there. They're still wanting to know whether he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel. When and how? And he said, you don't need to know those things, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be a witness. Power for witness. I'm telling you, when we go out, and I've just been in Africa, in a few weeks' time I'm going to be in Haiti um, for a while. We're going to be doing some leadership training. It's going to be eight to ten churches there with Marcel and his team in various churches. And I tell you, it's incredible. Every time that I've been there or going to uh, Africa, 
uh, I hear of incredible uh, miracles, signs, wonders, and miracles. I remember um, a team that I'm related to going into a certain part of Africa, and they were speaking on healing and, uh, and, and equipping the, the local uh, Africans uh, with regards to how to pray for people and so on. And off they went. They came back a year later and, um, from the local Western church and went back there. And the guy said, listen, well, we prayed for that blind person and they'll see. That person had epilepsy and they were delivered from demonic oppression. This one and that. And so what else do we need to do now? And the guys were, what? This actually works? You actually did what we said? Isn't it a sad indictment that um, we've got to a place where, in a sense, we can become unbelieving believers? And God wants to change that. And I want to say this as I'm speaking to you. God is definitely speaking to me before he's speaking to you. And I've been challenged, even just being back there with some of my friends in Africa and seeing what's going on there again, uh, to see and believe that God can do it right here in Canada, in Nanaimo, in British Columbia, that we will see the power of God. But the power of God is out on the streets. Remember that prophecy? That's where the liquid gold begin, began to flow. That's where we're going to see it, more so than in the life of the church. And I long to see the day when people are lining up and say, we prayed for this person, we, this person got saved, that person got healed, this person has now got a job, this person has been uh, set free from addiction. Deborah and I, um, a while ago, uh, were downtown and lying on the street there with a, with a blanket over them was somebody that had passed away with an addiction right on Main Street. And obviously a whole lot of uh, ambulance and the police there were assisting. The addictions today are not like the addictions of yesterday. I believe that God wants to radically deliver people from uh, addictions through the power of Jesus. I believe that we need to start believing that we will lay hands on some of these addicted people and see them instantly be set free by the power of God. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take the priesthood of believers believing what God has said to them. The stuff that says that miracles are no longer for today. Why would God take the power of the Holy Spirit and miracle uh, that of the early church away when we need it more than they did? When this nation needs it more than they, that God says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, as I've said before. You see, what 1 Corinthians 3.69 speaks of this, this divine partnership that God has. He says, I planted the seed, Paulus watered it, but God made it grow. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters has one purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's, this is the the partnership, 
fellow workers. We're not God's servants. Listen to this. Fellow workers, God's field and God's building. Church, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, to seek and to save that which was lost, to set captives free. And he called and commissioned us as the body of Christ, as the priesthood of all believers, to simply go into the world in his name and simply do the same. In Romans 12, uh, 10, 12 to 15, Paul, quoting the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 52, writes this. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all who richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Christianity isn't exclusive. People will say it's an exclusive religion. It is not exclusive. It's the most inclusive religion in the world. Everyone is welcome. The exclusivity is simply this. There's only one way. And I'd put it to you that if there was a fire in this building and there was only one escape door, and I said to you, run through the door, and you said to me, no, it's too exclusive. I want another door. Wouldn't that be a pretty dumb? And that's the same. There's only, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and the only way for us to come to the Father. But whomsoever, whomsoever believe can call on him and be saved. And you might be here today and not knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but I want to know you that he loves you, he cares for you, he died for you. You might have walked away from God, from hurt. I want to tell you he's never left you or forsaken you. He's here for us. He wants to heal us. He wants to set us free. He wants to save us so that through us, others can be healed, set free, and find salvation. And this is the heart of God. It almost breaks my heart to read this. How then can they call? This is, to me, I see a picture in, in, in conversations like this where you get the triune God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit and God the Son in the throne room having a conversation with each other. In a sense, God speaking to God. And this is the heart of God. How can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Quoting Isaiah 52. Isaiah has this revelation of God, a revelation of all revelations to me in Isaiah chapter 6. He has this revelation. He's in the throne room. And his first cry is, woe is me, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the glory of God. And he falls down. And, this, and an angel comes and, 
and puts a coal on his lips and cleanses him. And the same cry was the cry of Isaiah. It's interesting that up to that stage, the first few chapters, and Isaiah was, woe is you, woe is you. It's always easier to woe is you somebody else. But he's in the throne room and he has this revelation of how unclean he is. And he falls onto his knees. God cleanses him. And the same question is asked by God. Who will bring, who will go, who can I send? And Isaiah says, Lord, send me. Lord will send anybody. The Lord will use anybody. Not because of the education. Not because of how much the word of God you know. You know, a person born again today has the same spirit that you and I have. The power of God, the presence of God living inside of him and is a powerful weapon in the hand of God. And I think one of the things that God is saying, not only to the church, but to the leaders of the church, simply this, let my people go. Let my people go. You have an anointing. You have power. You don't need wise and persuasive words. Just need to be yourself. And the best way to create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move is through good deeds. When you start helping people, when you start loving them, when you start caring for them, it gives you access to speak into their lives. And I think too often we are talking Too often we are challenging people, maybe even judging people without even knowing where they're at. What I realized in that prison, as I said, I could have quite easily, before I was saved, ended up in that place, but by the grace of God. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to finish with this, verse 35 to 38. He went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Remember, he said, the things I did, you would do even greater than these. These are the things that he's talking about. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I got radically saved in 1984. Deborah and I have been through many trials like you have. But I cannot imagine having to have gone through those trials without Jesus Christ in my life. Can you imagine how harassed and helpless so many people are there? Now, we cannot guarantee that they will respond But we can create an an attitude through our lifestyle, through love and good deeds that creates a place that will soften the heart so that the eternal seed sown, we sow seed, we we, uh, water seed, but it's only God that makes it grow. And I want us to be a people like that this year. Jesus goes on to say this. Then he said, the harvest 
is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. I'm praying that 2020 in this church will be a year of harvest. I'm praying. We're doing many things, and we've started some many minist- amazing ministries. But you see, evangelism is more than a ministry. It's a lifestyle. It's a daily walk with God. It's in Starbucks. It's on the beach. It's walking downtown. It's in our workplace. It's a daily walk. And I tell you, when we seek Jesus and we seek his kingdom, he adds all the stuff we need. My interpretation of seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and he will add all things to me. My interpretation is simply this. God saying, my boy, you look after my business and I'll look after yours. What a divine exchange. Let's get on with it. Let's take what we have out of these four walls. This is a very special place, like many churches, a place of community, a place where we find um, friendship and fellowship. This needs to, we need to become, in a sense, a church without walls. Where we come together to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit, in and through the Holy Spirit, in and through each other, in and through the Word. And then we simply take what we have and spread it to our neighbors and the nations. And I love the thing that Paul says, I planted the seed. Now we don't know whether that seed was a word or whether it was an action. But he planted a seed in somebody's heart. Apollos came along after that and watered that seed through love, good deeds, through, through prayer, through teaching them the word. I don't know what it is. And in that divine partnership, the Holy Spirit began to rain down and the rain of heaven began to make that seed grow. Just think about this. In this church, it's a bit empty today, but believe it or not, with our kids and all of that, there's nearly there's seven or 800 people that we call Oceanside their church now. And just do the math. If each one of us just reached one person this year, there'd be 700 more spirit-filled, Jesus-believing people in the city, just one at a time. Can you imagine? You see, we look at the big things and we look at at the impossibility of so many people that need Jesus Christ and we get overwhelmed. But as much as God is an audience of one to you and me, he's the audience of one to those one he spoke of in Matthew 25. When you were in jail, when I was in jail, you visited me in hospital these kind of things. So my challenge to us is to take what we have. I don't want us to be necessarily known as the coolest church or or with the greatest worship, incredible preaching. I want us to be known by what Jesus said in the upper room to his disciples in, in John 14. 
He's about to give his life for them. He's in the upper room and he gives his final command before his death on a cross. And in the midst of this time of fellowship with his disciples, he says this, a new, a new command I give you. Love one another. How? As I have loved you. He goes on to say this, and I've got this underlined, this word, this. By this, underlined, shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. The defining factor and the foundation of the church Jesus Christ is building is one of unconditional love, forgiveness and acceptance. And why does it need to start here? Because I promise you, if we can't learn to love, forgive, and accept one another, if we can't do it now, and we will hurt each other, and we will upset each other, and, well, I certainly will do that to you sometimes, for sure. But if we can't get it right here as the body, how are we going to do it out there? How are we going to love the unloved? How are we going to care for them? How are we going to lay down our lives for them if we cannot do it for each other? So gathering is very important. Gathering together and being inspired and encouraged and fed is extremely important. This is where we get our strength and our community to go out there. This is like the huddle between the periods. I love watching hockey especially the Canucks these days. And over uh, the years, I've become an armchair expert. I can tell those guys exactly what they're doing wrong, sitting in my chair. I can even call them, forgive me, an idiot for what they've done. The crazy thing is, I can't even skate. So how's that? But that's what a spectator does. And God, Christianity was never supposed to be the biggest spectator sport in the world. On a Sunday. It was never meant to that. Christianity was meant to be a lifestyle. Where we come together. The amazing thing about the huddle, and that's where I want to go. They, they, Canucks, let's say, could have had a terrible first period. And they go into that change room. And I bet you they are not beating each other up. And if they are, the coach would, coach would kick them out the change room. I bet you the guy that let that goal in or that missed that shot or all of that is getting high fives. Well done. Don't worry about it. We can do it. We can do this together. And if a sports team can do that, how much more could we do that? So when we come on a Sunday, it's to fellowship with one another. Yes, it's to be equipped, but to fellowship, to come and say, God, just point me to someone that needs love and help. Point me to one person. And do you know the amazing thing about it that I find? When I reach to others, and often less fortunate, like Haiti now, going there now, I'm so grateful for what I have. You see, when we look up at other people at what they have, it's very hard to be content if they've got more than you. 
But when we look down the way Jesus is to the ones on the streets, to the ones on the highways and the byways, we can walk in our front door with the most, having the most terrible day and just be so grateful, so grateful that we're not under that bridge. And it creates in us an attitude of gratitude by reaching out. You see, this is as much for us as it is for the people we're reaching out to because it brings humility. It brings gratitude. It does amazing things in our lives. And so this year, I'm praying that on a daily basis, and don't beat ourselves up when we don't do it. This is not a legalistic thing, and I don't witness every day for sure. And reading and preparing this, I've realized that I have been sidetracked a bit from the, the core reason Jesus saved me, and that was to seek and to save that which was lost. Can we bow our heads, please? I want to finish um, with breaking a bread, if you've got time. We've got a few bit more time, and the worship team can please come forward. But I want to tell you this, that if this comes with condemnation, it's not God. If you're feeling that right now, that is not God. Yes, it might be a conviction, but conviction is always upwards. Condemnation is always downwards. So we all could have, would have, should have right now. We all can do that. I can do that. Everybody can do that. It's not about that. While I was preparing this, I actually felt incredible sense of the pleasure of God upon the people, our people, visitors too. I just felt that God, that I saw him just with this, come on, you can do it. Come on. Just simply repent. Repentance is not a swear word. Repentance is simply the word metanoia, which is where we turn around. And what happens over time uh, as we serve God and stuff, we begin to drift away. We begin to drift away. It's not an event. It's, it's something that just happens. And when we look back like that, sitting on a floaty in the ocean, uh, you're supposing to be at the side of the boat, but you fell asleep and you're 10 k's away. We drift away. And God is all one in his two is us to turn around, to come back, and to repent and do the things we did at first. When I got saved, I was so excited about it, I tried to witness to a lamppost. I'm joking. But everybody, I wanted them to know what had happened to me. You see, people can argue doctrine, and they can argue the Bible, they can argue eschatology, but what they cannot argue is with a person who is totally in love with Jesus and has a transformed life. They cannot argue with that. And we get what we have, and I just felt God just fall in love with me again. It's going to happen automatically. Do the things we did at first. And I believe this year is going to be a year where we will see the power of God like liquid gold flowing out of this place into the city if we will only believe.
So Father God, I thank you for that. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you're God of new beginnings. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this community, Lord. Lord, we're just one little community of many in the city. And I pray, and on this island and in this nation, I pray for every life-giving church in this nation. Lord, we need each other. We see things differently often, but Lord, we are one body, many members. And I love the fact that there's variety of worship, some with an organ, some some with no musicians at all, some with drums and tambourines, because you have a God of variety. And Lord, I just pray, and I declare the prophetic word that was given by the founding fathers of this nation, one of them, that you will have dominion from sea to sea. Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to blow over our nation this year. You see, when darkness is darker, light is lighter. And Lord, we speak and prophesy healing and restoration and revival over this nation. We speak that over Canada, our beautiful nation, as immigrants and as one's born here, Lord God, you've placed us here for a time as this. Lord, we want to honor you. And Lord Jesus, I want to thank you as we remember you, as we break bread, as you did with your disciples in that very same upper room. Will you sacrificed your body shed your blood so that through you we could receive forgiveness of sin you didn't have to do Lord Jesus you could have gone back to heaven any time but you saw us Lord Jesus you loved us and as Hebrews says you saw the joy set before you and you scorned the cross as shame because you want to populate heaven Lord you want us to be able to spend eternity with you worshipping you and so we honour you Lord Jesus we want to lift your name up over this nation Lord In humility, we ask you, Lord, to start in our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, begin to reign. Begin to refresh. Begin to light those fires in our hearts again. Even right now. You see, church, God's love can never be achieved. And if it could be achieved, it would lessen the cross and the price paid. God's love is only received. And Romans 5 tells us that His love is poured into our hearts by His Holy Spirit. And I sense God wanting to fill you up. For you to sense the love and the mercy of grace in this place right now. For you to sense 
the privilege of being a son and a daughter of God. Pour out your love, Lord. Pour out your presence. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for Calvary. Lord, I pray that you bring the ones that, the prodigals, Lord, the burnt stones. You love them, Lord God. And I have a feeling if, if the ones that have just walked away from the church, just in the city alone, just came back home, we would think it was revival. Lord, you love them. We pray that even now that your presence will be upon them, that you'll draw them back. Our children, our sons and daughters will come from afar. Lord, we call them in. We call our loved ones in, Lord. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to have your way this year, that we will have 2020 vision, that we'll be able to see what the Spirit will have us see and do what the Spirit will have us do. I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, these are good times. Arise and shine, church, for your light has come. Arise and shine. And just let that shine before men so that they too can glorify the Father in heaven.